0: Good morning, church. Good morning. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. The gospel is good news. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the gospel, the first things that come to my mind are amazing miracles, setting people free from demon possession and various physical maladies that kept them from being a part of the community. Miracles that brought people together. Those are happy things, aren't they? And I think about teaching that opens our minds to the wonders and glories of God. That's that's the gospel. That's the good news. But there are parts of the gospel which are confrontational parts of the gospel that are full of dark foreboding predictions of hardship and division and I don't know about you but when I'm thinking good news those aren't the first things to come to mind but they're part of the good news aren't they there are times when Jesus calls people in the gospels to confront themselves and to confront some hard choices there are moments when people have to discern what is God, what God is calling them to, and oftentimes it's to one of these stark polarities of this or that, two mutually exclusive options, and Jesus is saying you have to choose. And that is often hard work. Let me set the stage for where we'll be spending our time this morning. Jesus... And his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem for the final time. It says in chapter 9 that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely. That's one of those words that conjures up I'm not going to like this, but I'm going to do it. Resolutely, setting his face like a flint. Towards Jerusalem, knowing exactly what was going to happen there in the days to come, he was going along with his disciples and thousands of other people to going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and many of them would stay the 50 days to celebrate celebrate uh, the 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 feast of Pentecost as well. So you can just imagine on the roads leading south from Galilee this. Massive horde of people, a a caravan with bags and and, uh, possessions and things that they were taking with them for this long journey and this long stay in Jerusalem. Crowds, crowds of people, sometimes singing glorious songs of ascent as they headed uphill towards Jerusalem, looking forward to these feast days. Uh, The closest people around Jesus were his disciples, the twelve and others that were following him. They they were the ones that stuck close to Jesus. They wanted to hear everything that he had to say. They wanted to watch everything that he had to do. This was going to be good news. But also in that large crowd of thousands of other people that were filling the roads heading south to Jerusalem were people who had an exactly opposite point of view when it came to Jesus. He was surrounded by some of his closest friends, but also some of his his most, most determined enemies, Pharisees and Sadducees and the like. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12 as we pick up the story. Jesus is going to be speaking to his disciples, those that were closest to him, in this first passage. Chapter 12, beginning with verse 49. Jesus says to his disciples, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Yes, it's it's here in the gospel. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Oh, good news. Hallelujah. Bring it on. (laughs) We've experienced times in our families when we were set against each other, and it's not happy, is it? And yet Jesus is saying, this is what I have come to do. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Let's break it down a little bit. First he says, I've come to bring purifying, reviving fire. Fire can be a destructive thing, but fire in the scriptures is one of the... Prominent symbols of God and the work that God does. And the work that God does is redemptive work, cleansing work, reviving work, isn't it? Jesus said, I've come to light a fire, I've come to begin a revival, I've come to purify people from sin. And then he says something that leads me to believe that perhaps he's disappointed with the Jewish people. Disappointed that perhaps he had come expecting that this fire would already be kindled. For crying out loud, they've had almost 2,000 years of God at work in their families, down from generation to generation, generation after generation of God being faithful Jesus probably came thinking there'll be a little smoldering ember if nothing else. <laughs> but there seems to be this disappointment that the fire hasn't been kindled. It's instead it's like the campfire the morning after you had a wonderful glowing time in the evening roasting marshmallows and the warmth of the fire was a wonderful thing to behold and then you went to bed in your in your tent or your camper and you came out the next morning and it's just this foul-smelling cold collection of ashes. How I wish the fire would already have been kindled, Jesus says. But then he recognizes that it's only through his crucifixion that this fire is going to be kindled. It's the baptism of his crucifixion that is going to bring about this revival and this purity. And he uses the word constraint As if Jesus were impatient or eager for that baptism to be over so that he could unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm constrained right now. I wish I could be doing something different, but first I have to go through this baptism, the crucifixion. And it's only on the other side of that 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 fire will leap into life and begin the work that God has sent me to do. First, Jesus is saying, I have to go through this narrow place. This place that will constrain me and for a moment limit my power because I'll be in the tomb. This conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is... We just take it for granted. We we know the end of this story. We know about resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the fire that's been unleashed among us. But for those disciples walking that dusty road on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus that day, as they're having this conversation, this is a radically illogical pathway. This is not the way God does business. This is contrary to everything that they knew about the world. And Jesus knew that this would be hard for them to understand. Jesus knew that this kind of a gospel, the gospel of the downward path, the gospel of crucifixion, the gospel of dying before life can begin, Jesus knew that this would bring division on the earth. There would be people who wouldn't see it this way, who couldn't accept this. Think about the people that are traveling with Jesus who have to pick sides. There were Gentiles among that crowd. It's Galilee of the Gentiles. There were people who lived around Jesus, the people with whom he had grown up who were Gentiles, for whom this was going to be a choice between Jesus as Lord or Caesar as Lord. Both of them used the same titles. Both of them were identified as the Son of God. Both of them were identified as Lord, as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. People are going to have to make a choice. Are you going to continue to call Caesar Lord, or are you going to call Jesus Lord? You can't do both, right? Right? It's either the ways of God or the ways of the world. Which are you going to choose? For the Jewish people that were listening to Jesus, it was going to be a choice between the law or grace. And you can't have it both ways. You're either trying to earn your own way by living up to all the expectations, or you're giving up on yourself and you're saying, Lord, only by your grace can I be right with you. You can't have it both ways. Choose. It's time to pick. Or for everybody in that crowd, it was was the choice between exclusivity or inclusivity. The Jews were people who largely believed that it was exclusive. God loves us first. We are his chosen people. Nobody else is welcome unless they become one of us. But Jesus, over and over and over again, has been proclaiming this inclusive kingdom. The God who takes handfuls of seeds out of the sack and just casts it willy-nilly wherever it goes. The God who is willing to include anybody, absolutely anybody, whether they're leprous or paralyzed, whether they're a woman or a man, a child or an adult, a Jew or a Gentile. Which way is it going to be? Are we going to keep people out, or are we going to welcome people in? Another choice that people would have to make is, which is most important, God's family or my biological family? The Jewish people were big into the biological family. They knew their genealogy going back dozens of generations. When they got married, they moved into the family compound. They continued to be connected to one another. Your family was the most important thing. It it mattered about the, the land that you lived on had been given to your family, to your tribe, and you needed to know that you were a part of that family or you might not have a place to live. The family was important. But Jesus says, who is my family? As his mother and his brothers were outside knocking on the door saying, let us in. We think he's crazy. We need to take him home. Who is my family? My family are the people sitting around this table, the people that do the will of God. That's who family is. One of the biggest complaints that the Romans had about Christianity was that it destroyed families. It ripped families apart. They couldn't see how anything good and godly could be responsible for ripping families apart because families were important. But Jesus is saying you have to make a choice. Are you a part of the family of God? Or are you going to primarily identify as being the Shaw clan? So this good news of Jesus didn't seem like it to a lot of the people that were following him because it forced people to have to make some stark choices, to pick sides in the most important decision of their life. After this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, he turns his attention to the crowds. Let's pick up the, the, the story in verse 54. Luke 12:54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? You're experts at weather forecasts. Why is it that you're missing everything else? Why can't you read the signs? The crowds largely missed the signs of Jesus due to their own preconceptions about the Messiah. So he compliments them on their ability to read the weather signs, but he rebukes them about their inability to read the spiritual signs pointing to the Messiah and the kingdom of God, the grace of God. Much of what that crowd had missed were the signs that were contained in the prophecies of the Old Testament, right? We're familiar. If you think back to the Advent season, where we focus on those messianic prophecies, Isaiah is a great one, and they're they're littered throughout the the prophets, who saw Jesus coming and put into words these messianic prophecies and so the jews who were familiar with these prophecies had come to some conclusions this is what the messiah is going to be like and as they read those words leading up to the coming of jesus they came to the conclusion that messiah as we know was going to be this general this military leader this mighty king like david and solomon that would bring people to their knees other nations would would be sending tribute to Israel once again instead of Israel sending tribute to other nations that had conquered them. This was the Messiah that they read in these Old Testament prophets. And then when Jesus showed up, they just could not make sense of what he was talking about, this upside-down kingdom where servanthood and sacrifice and death were a part of what the Messiah would have to endure. The people traveling with Jesus south to Jerusalem interpreted these prophecies one way, but Jesus fulfilled them in a radically different way, didn't he? Often Jesus uses the metaphor of blindness throughout his conversations with the crowd. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says that the pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. As one commentator says, the purity of heart that enables us to see God may not be what you think it is. It's not the morally upright or ethically irreproachable who have clean hearts. Rather, cleanness of heart has to do with the lack of pride, hypocrisy, and judgmentalism. It is only as we confess that we don't see well enough to judge others that we begin to see. And what we begin to see is not sin in others, but instead what we begin to see is God. These Jews had come to conclusions about Jesus, and he wasn't the Messiah as far as they were concerned. They were hypocrites saying one thing and doing another. This passage that I just read, beginning with 54, is primarily about reading the signs that pointed to Jesus and how they had missed those signs. But even for those who have picked Jesus, who have embraced him as Messiah, there's still discernment required, isn't there? It's not just enough to say, I'm casting my lot with Jesus, I've Put my staff down in the camp of Jesus and I'm going to walk by his ways. Is it? It's not as simple as that, is it? Because every day of our lives there's places that God wants us to go and things that God wants us to do. And and that means there are places God doesn't want us to go and things he doesn't want us to do. And we need to discern the will of God, the ways of God. Should I take this job or not? Should I marry this person or not? Decision-making is hard work, and it's not over just because we've said, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. There's still discernment required. Living a Christ-like life from day to day requires the ability to read the signs of God's leading in our lives. And the nature of these signs that we must continue to pay attention to are found in some ways that are pretty subtle. How does God lead you? How does God direct your steps? If you're like me, it has to do with thoughts and imaginings. Sometimes it's emotions or inclinations, intuition, desires, feelings, things that repulse us and things that attract us. Have you found that these are some of the things that you have to, to weigh? These are some of the signs that you have, to, you have to discern if you're going to make a right choice and follow where God wants to go? These various subtle things might be lumped into two categories. There are things that bring consolation. If we're going to discern God, there are things that bring consolation and there are things that bring desolation. Consolation are usually the things that bring us happiness and joy and peace. It's the feeling you have deep down inside that this is God's way and I'm going to walk in it. I'm confident of this. I've heard the Spirit speak. I've weighed the various things that I'm imagining and desiring and thinking, and and I have a good feeling that this is what God wants me to do. Consolation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to give us a deep, settled peace. Even if the thing that God is calling us to do is a hard thing, we still have this deep, settled peace, this consolation that this is what God wants me to do. On the other end of the spectrum is desolation, a word that describes that feeling of being unsettled and unsure, perhaps anxious and fearful, often brought on by the work of the devil in our lives, sowing seeds of confusion. Consolation and desolation. The things that we pay attention to if we're going to discern the way that God is leading us in. So these two paragraphs in Luke provide us with, first, the foundation of picking Jesus. I choose to be a son or a daughter of God. I choose to accept Christ as my Savior. I choose to accept Christ as the only one that can make me right with God. That's the foundation. And then there's this discerning signs, picking picking Jesus and then reading the signs correctly, the consolation, the desolation, the feelings, the desires, the dreams that he may plant inside of us. These are what these passages are talking about. Showing us how to discern the way to live our lives. Another lens through which we might look at these two paragraphs, though I found in Psalm 37, and many of you are familiar with this beloved psalm. Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4 say, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Another way of saying the things that Jesus said, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord that is speaking about that foundation is it who are you trusting for your life who are you trusting for salvation who are you trusting to guide your life into those green pastures is it caesar is it jesus is it my family or is it god's family So, when we trust in the Lord, when we take delight in the Lord, we're putting down stakes. We're making choices for God, for Jesus. And then, as we continue to trust and delight in Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to shape the desires of our heart, doesn't He? Do you still desire the things that you did when you were 15? Do you still desire the things that you desired 30 or 40 or 50 years ago? Of course not. Do you still desire the things that you desired before you knew Jesus as Savior? I say, do you still desire the things that you desired before you knew Jesus as your Savior? I hope not. Because as we have trusted in Him, as we have taken delight in the Lord, the Holy Spirit has been changing our desires He's been changing the equipment that we use to figure out what that feeling means, what that intuition means, what that inkling means, so that God's desires have become our desires. What a beautiful thing. This whole sermon series is about prayer. And so prayer, is specifically this morning, meaning a conversation that shows the way, that shows the way forward in our lives. This kind of prayer is largely determined by how well we read the signs revealed in our desires, our thoughts, our imaginings, our emotions, our inclinations, our feelings, repulsions and attractions. God is at work showing us the way as we put down our foundation in Christ, as we learn to read the signs that God is giving us. I have come to bring bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. One might say those are verses of bad news. The the news of unsettling things, the news of crucifixion, the news of death. But in reality, we know that those things are good news, right? Because they are essential to bring the revival fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our world. Aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to have a conversation with us in which He shows us the way to live the good news life? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is with us, helping us to be able to discern where God is leading, to recognize consolation and desolation in our lives, and to use that to make wise choices, godly choices? Let's bow our heads. I know the answer to this question for most of you, but let me ask it anyway. Have you chosen Jesus? Have you picked Jesus? Have you picked Jesus as the Savior of your soul? The Savior of your life? Have you picked Jesus who alone can set you free from sin and from death? Have you picked Jesus? Now is the day of salvation if you haven't. Now is the time to throw yourself on God's mercy and say, I can't do it myself anymore. Take over, Lord. Set me free. Ask and He will do it. And for the rest of us, ones who have already put down that stake, have made Christ the foundation of our lives. Are you in the throes of making a decision these days? Are you trying to read the signs? Lord, where are you leading? What's next for this congregation as we hopefully leave this pandemic? What's next for congregations like ours across the world who have been isolated and separated and discouraged and defeated Lord, what's next? How can we read the signs? Can you hear Jesus saying anything right now? What is bringing excitement in your mind and your heart right now as you're listening to the Lord? What is he saying that's bringing peace? And a sense of contentment in the midst of the chaos. Certainly there are issues in your own life, in your family, your marriage, your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. What is the Lord leading you to say and to do? How do you know? What are the signs? Lord, the Jews had come to conclusions about who the Messiah would be, and many of them rejected the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, Lord, we have come to conclusions about what our future holds, how we do certain things. We're creatures of habit. Things have worked before, so won't they work again? Lord, we sang a song earlier about a God who is on the move, a God who is doing new things, who is bringing revival. Is refocusing our desires. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. Help us to read the signs that your Holy Spirit is giving us. Lord, we're electing new boards, SDMI. The trustees and the stewards, the church board officers. Lord, beginning of next month, we'll gather in our various boards and councils to begin discerning what you want us to do in the year ahead. Lord, we pray that you would speak clearly. We pray that we would read the signs, that we would hear your voice. Lord, we trust you. And we delight in you. And we pray that you would be forming our desires. That our desires would be your desires and that you would give us what you desire for us. We promise, Father, we will listen and we will follow. Because we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen.